whenever everything is going well, I feel like the world wants to challenge you to see how badly do you want it. I asked myself the question, despite the challenges that might come to pass, where would I be most ultimately fulfilled? What would bring me the most amount of happiness and drive and motivation, regardless of how challenging it might be? And I couldn't get away from the district manager position. I've now worked at Cutco for 22 years. I feel like it's my life's work. And I couldn't be more proud of the experience that I've had. The voice you just heard is Damien Scott, who's now one of the top managers in the Cutco Vector Marketing sales organization. Damien's life and career have been marked by many challenges, but no matter what the obstacle, Damien has been able to rise above it. His story is an example of so many different lessons on how to succeed and how to bring others along with you. I know you'll be inspired by his stories and lessons. This is the Assistant Division Manager in Vector's Lone Star Division, Damien Scott. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm here today with Damian Scott, who is the Assistant Division Manager for the Lone Star Division in Texas. He's headquartered in San Marcos, just outside of Austin. Damien's time with Cutco Vector goes all the way back to 1999. He started in the Chicago area with Danny Lewis, uh, graduated from DePaul University in 05. His time in the business has not been a straight line to where he is now. There have been some years away from the business. He was a district manager for a short while in uh, Chicago initially, moved down to Austin, worked in the Southwest region office for a while with Lloyd Reagan and team became a district manager for good in 2016 in San Marcos, which is a college town, and working with a lot of people who are not from the area, Damien became a pioneer of the virtual demo program. That's something that we'll talk a little bit about today. Damien has now produced over $7 million in Cutco sales. As I mentioned, he's been appointed to be the ADVM of Lone Star. And in the year 2021, his district team is currently number two in the entire company for the year. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, Damien. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dan. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. Well, you've been a big fan of the podcast and supporter of the podcast since as far back as I can remember. And I very much appreciate that. 
Well, I really love the idea of just so many of these stories of people that have started with Cutco and gone on to do amazing things, but really some of the people that are still in the business and the amazing things they're doing right now. So it's been really inspirational for me in the last couple of years, getting in my car and listening to the next episode and bringing so many of these things to my team meetings on a regular basis. In fact, it's one of the things I I have almost mandatory and for my key staff and my branch managers is we're going to talk about the next podcast and what's what are some of the gifts coming out of that. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your support and for sharing the podcast. Why don't you start out by helping our audience get to know you a little bit as far as your personal story from before Cutco? Sure. Well, anyone that's ever been around me on a on a soccer game or anything like that, including this weekend's big victory by Argentina over Brazil, which I was you know more than over the moon about. Uh, but I was born in Argentina. And um, I uh, lived there until I was eight years old. My uh, my dad was a doctor in Argentina. My mom was kind of a, a little bit of a stay-at-home mom. She had a couple of businesses that she did a little bit. But there was certain uh, issues that were happening with him where he wasn't really getting a lot of opportunities. And so uh, they found a, a program that was looking for Spanish-speaking doctors in Israel. My family is Jewish, and we kind of saw it as an opportunity to start a new life and move away from a country that was, and still is, in a little of a little political uproar. So we moved to Israel, which is a beautiful, beautiful place for any of you guys that ever been there, and uh, built a life. We were doing great. And in uh, January of 1991, the Persian Gulf War started out, and all of a sudden we were caught. In, we were caught in the middle of a real war mm. uh, with uh, with bombs and gas masks and sirens going off two or three times a week. We were. I was pulled out of school and. I remember just distinctly being in a room with the the outlines of the door all being taped up. My dog would have like a like a rag with something on it so it would help him not get the potential gas that might roll in. And my mom took the decision to basically help us sell most of the things that we owned and buy three one-way tickets to the United States where at the time my older brother Lionel was already living here. So we did. We left everything behind with uh, a couple of suitcases and moved to the United States. It was kind of a that traditional immigrant story where we came here basically with not a lot, basically with Wow. Nothing. Wow. And did you go straight to Chicago? No, we actually lived in San Francisco where he was living at the time for just a few months until we moved to Chicago where my mom and my dad had a couple of friends that they had at some point in the past owned a timeshare with. And they were so generous. They actually let us move in to their home with them. And this was not a large home. This was a condominium uh, in the middle of Chicago. So they apparently, they basically gave us one of their bedrooms uh, where my mom and my dad lived. And I actually shared a bedroom with their younger son. And we lived there for probably about eight or nine months before my parents sort of got on their feet. And it was kind of an incredible thing for me to watch because my dad, who was a doctor in Argentina and internationally, those degrees don't really transfer over. So he started working in a restaurant washing dishes. My mom, who had never had a job before, really not much, she took her real estate license exam. And actually, she failed it a couple of times. And you know, the English language sort of was a, was a harder thing for her than she thought. But eventually, she passed it the third time. And so we, we moved out into our own apartment. And that sort of got us on our feet. Wow. What an amazing story, Damien. Yeah. And, you know, the biggest thing for me at the time was just sort of watching them do all that. 
I was very up close and personal watching what it was like for a family to be completely, completely stubborn in becoming successful. The biggest, one of my most frustrating memories, but also one of my most treasured memories. And this was something that I remember millions of times is being in restaurants and my mom talking to the waiters and the waitresses and anyone that would even come with an you know, earshot of us and asking them, are you interested in buying a house? And we were at dinner or at a grocery store or at anywhere. And she was completely fearless in prospecting. And she, she felt that responsibility of giving me that life that we had moved to the United States for to put on her shoulders directly. And I always look back and, you know, that was one of my, my biggest inspirations of why to always be fearless in, uh, in just watching what she had to do in order to be successful in the beginning of her career. Just amazing. So your, your mom displayed this fearless attitude toward her work. Your dad was willing to take however many steps back you want to call it from being a doctor yeah. um, to be able to move himself back up towards something like that down the road. He became a chiropractor. Right. Yeah. He ended up going back to college and graduated with a chiropractor degree and, you know, started that business. Wow. Really cool, Damien. I'm sure there were a lot of valuable life lessons that came through that that have helped prepare you for everything after. Um, So take us forward to 1999 and how you got started with Cutco. So I was in high school and my friend Juan Esterain and I were on a soccer team together. And while on like just one of those typical runs that you go on with your team, he was running next to me and just flat out asks randomly out of the blue, are you looking for a job at all? And I had never really had a job before. The prior summer, I was working data entry at one of my dad's friend's businesses. But that was one of those kinds of jobs where basically I was working for about three hours. Then whoever was the owner went to lunch and then like never came back and checked on me. And I basically played uh, solitaire for the next three to four hours of the rest of the day. So I didn't really kind of feel like going back to that one. And so when he asked me if I was looking for a job, I said, sure. And I walked into an interview in Danny Lewis's branch office. Yes, branch. Yeah, it was a, I feel it was his first office or maybe second branch that he had run. And I remember being posted, which is, you know, the final part of the interview in a hallway over a box because it was in the middle of downtown Chicago, which is incredibly expensive, I'm sure, to run a branch. So this was like a basement office. So there was like one big room and then basically like a hallway that led out to a upstairs uh, stairway. And he would run his post interviews in that hallway with people basically about to walk out. And so he shook my hand and I, uh, I remember going back home and asking my mom if I could start this job. And she just supported me in pretty much anything I did. So I started with, uh, with training. And what was a little bit atypical for me is that none of my family lives in the United States, obviously, other than my mom and my dad. We lived in an apartment complex at the time, so I didn't have any neighbors uh, to go show cut code to. And because I was the transfer kid, I transferred various high schools and schools all around. We didn't really have a lot of family friends. So I kind of walked into training with like, two or three names and numbers and didn't really know how to start. But I was really, really positive and I was incredibly coachable. You know, Danny Lewis, for those of you that know him, he is the consummate positive attitude and energy that would motivate anyone to feel like they can do something. And so I remember 
thinking about how I was going to feel being the, the immigrant kid, the transfer kid, the kid that didn't really know very much about how to communicate. And the fact that I was going to have to, after showing the, you know, my mom, my dad, having to call the parents of all of the students in order to start my Cutco career, because there was no other way. That was the only answer. And that's when I was introduced by one of the assistant managers to the concept of what's more important to you, what you want or how you're feeling. Mm. And my, my biggest goal was to go to college and graduate and get a degree. I just felt like my parents had done so much to bring me here, you know, survived going through a war, leaving so much behind that it was really my responsibility to say thank you to them by going after a, you know, some opportunity that I was hearing people were able to pay for college by themselves because I didn't have any sort of like college safety net. And I had to fill out all my financial aids by myself, which probably meant I didn't really fill them out very well. So I didn't really get that much financial aid. And then, you know, I found out how much money DePaul University would cost. There was not a lot of other jobs that I felt that could really help me pay for them on my own without having to graduate with 30, 40,000, you know, plus dollars in debt. Wow. Wow. Amazing. And so you learned this valuable lesson right then and there early on about acting on what you wanted versus acting on how you felt in the moment. And I think that's such an important thing. A lot of times when I hear somebody say, I don't feel like it, whether it's somebody I work with or even one of my kids, right? I really try to help them understand that how you feel about something isn't the most important thing. You really have to decide what do you want, yeah. right? What are your goals? What, have you de- what did you decide you were going to do before the moment where you didn't feel like it? Because it's important for us to act on our decisions, right? And make our life the product of our decisions, not a product of how we feel in the moment. So that sounds like a really valuable lesson that you got. And you, I know you sold a lot of knives during college. You essentially helped pay your way through college selling Cutco. And w- was there another super valuable lesson that you felt like you learned during those, those years? So I was rewarded so fast, so quickly in that decision, which is going after what I wanted versus how I felt because of the fact that I was able to schedule so many demos. I guess I never realized how nice moms really were when, when you tell them your story. And I guess because of the fact that it was even a little bit more challenging for me, they were so excited to, to give me a chance to, to do a demo for them. And so I became very fearless in asking for referrals because I always felt like if they would just let me over, I was going to be the highlight of their day as just a thank you for them giving me 20 to 30, 40 minutes of their time. And so I just started finding so much pleasure and so much excitement in coming over to somebody's house and being that ray of light, that beam of light. And a lot of that came from actually my second manager, uh, David Fisher. So for any of you guys that know D Fish, he was a rock star. In fact, Today, he actually has a consulting company called Rockstar Consulting. But when I met him, he had just graduated from Northwestern University, which is a very prestigious university in in Chicago. And he had just bought an Infinity Q45, and he was a district manager. And to me, he was the coolest guy. And for those that know him, he was also kind of a, a nerdy guy. He was that, you know, that that guy that I don't know if in high school would have been picked as the cool guy, but he self-proclaimed himself as the coolest guy. He was part of a ska band. He was the lead singer and a drummer. 
And I remember going to see his shows when I was one of his assistant managers and thinking, man, this guy is just so, he has so much pride and he really beams that out of himself. And I thought, you know, he was such a great role model for me at a time when my parents were actually going through a divorce. And it was really kind of a hairy divorce where I, I never really wanted to be at either one of their houses very much. So I just ran away to vector marketing and was at the office all the time where I was surrounded by this really positive, excited role model that was so proud to be a district manager and all of the benefits that came from him. So I sort of embodied that from him and became the ringleader of the assistant manager crew in my team. By the way, I'm still to this day incredibly close friends with two of the five assistant managers. Uh, one of them, Lucas Wojcik, is actually, he's my real estate agent. And we met because I interviewed him when he was a college kid. Awesome. And so been friends with the guy for 20 years and continued working with, uh, with DFish for a few years, all the way through college until I graduated in 05, where I actually left Cutco for a few years. Yeah. So you worked for a few years. You, you ran a branch, I understand, before yeah. graduating. You learned about these things from D Fish, about being yourself and being proud of who you are. I feel like that's, that's cool stuff that you shared right there. I like that. And then, as you mentioned, you were out of the business uh, for a few years, exploring other options. And what brought you back to Cutco in uh, 2009? So during the time that I was away from Cutco, I had a couple different jobs. One of them is I was a business banker, and which was really kind of a cool job. And ironically, I ended up doing a lot of business for Cutco managers. I was using a lot of the network that I had built throughout those first six years of the company. And it was really helping me be a great business banker. And eventually, I kind of ended up not really liking working for there. Uh, I ended up actually becoming a loan officer and working with my mom, ended up doing Danny Lewis's uh, loan. and. The funny thing was that Mike Muriel himself, he would like call me every like four or five months just to check in, just to see how I was doing. And I just thought that was such a cool thing that he continued to reach out to me, even if I wasn't working. And you know, maybe it was like the longest play of his life. But eventually, what happened was I decided that I wanted to come check uh, back in with Cutco. And he brought me in as sort of a, an assistant manager to the sales manager that he had. And my job was to basically coach this guy that he was working for. And two days after I got back, the guy who I was supposed to coach quit. And there was training to be run that weekend. And I ran a training seminar about two or three days back from the moment I, uh, I kind of got back into his office. And I, I launched a kid who did $9,000 in his first 10 days, which obviously exploded my confidence back. And I, I was back in. I was, uh, I was ready to rock with Cutco. And I just figured maybe it was just you know the arc that my life had to have to kind of leave what I really loved to really remember how much I loved it and, uh, and get back in. So I was back in Cutco in, in the fall of 2009. And uh, there at the time, there was a, a young guy named Ben Skemper who was, and probably still is to the day, one of the most talented people I have ever met in my life. I got a chance to actually work underneath him. And I, I think I might've been like eight or nine years older than him, but he was an incredible role model for me. And it was this constant desire for excellence. The, the phrase in that office was, if it can be done right, it must be done right. And there was a level of aspired perfection that I learned in that business that allowed me to, to see what really could be done everything was done in the direction of excellence. 
And I saw an office do almost a million dollars of sales in a summer. It was one of the most incredible experiences to see this business being done at such a high way that it inspired me to feel like I had some of the tools that maybe I was missing in the beginning to go out and do it myself, which is what I did. I ended up opening up as a district manager in 2011 in Maryville, Indiana, which is just a, a little bit of the south side of Chicago. Wow. So you got to work with uh, Ben Skemper for a while. You got to work with Mike Muriel closely for a few years there. And I know uh, as a district manager, you were working there with Mike. And then how did you end up in Austin, Damien? If you talk to people in Austin, the story is pretty typical. I came to visit Austin one time during the right part of the year, which is not in the middle of the summer when it's about 100 degrees for pretty much the entire time. I think I was there in the spring when it is absolutely gorgeous. I love that the relationships here in Texas were all built on spending time with each other. Nobody cared where you lived, what kind of car you drove, you know, what part of town that you were from. Everything was about who you are and you know, what are the relationships that you can bring to the table. And moved to Texas and moved to Austin, which is obviously a beautiful place, kind of up and coming here, one of the fastest growing cities in America. And uh, I just decided to move here kind of side unseen partially because of the fact that I had met Lloyd Reagan at a national management conference. It was the, it was the year where he basically told his story of how mm-hmm. he was running his office with his daughter like on his arm and you know, just like an incredible family man. And that really spoke to me as an incredible, you know, incredible role model. And it really attracted me. So uh, it was a combination of that, meeting a new uh, change of, uh, of scenery. And I felt like the kind of people that were here sort of spoke a little bit to my heart and how I love to build relationships. And so you sold Cutco there. You worked in the region office as well during this stretch, right? Yeah. So I came to Lloyd Reagan with a job that didn't exist. And I called it Rep Development Specialist, which I basically made that up. Basically, I wanted to have a job where I could go out and visit struggling district offices, struggling branch offices, not the top guys, the guys who were just like starting out and maybe didn't have all of the skills. And, you know, can I go out there and spend two or three days and give them some attention, maybe take them out to like a meal and let them know that they could do well. And it was the dream position for me, just the ability to give attention to a lot of people who are in these, you know, little parts of town who maybe don't even get a visit from the division manager because it's so far away. And they were able to get that, that special touch from somebody that worked in the region office, which to them sounded a lot more exciting than what I thought it was going to sound like. And there's a lot of people that have told me that that visit, that lunch where I came in and, you know, maybe helped them rearrange part of the office, maybe met with some of their reps is why they're still around. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, but it really told me that the attention that some of these individuals might have gotten can really help somebody blossom despite of where they were in the moment. And just how, even if somebody doesn't have it at the beginning, just how much one person's attention might have an impact on them. Mm. I mean, I, I, love, I love the just the example of the incredible impact that one person can have on another. And these people didn't know that you created a role that didn't exist and sort of made up a title, right? Like to them, you are an extension of Lloyd. 
Yeah. You're an extension of Lloyd. You're an extension of the company. You are somebody from the company coming in and showing them love and showing them support and giving them guidance and encouragement. And when people get that, they feel good and they feel motivated, inspired. They want to go out and do their best and they become more loyal. So kudos to you for doing some great work right there. Well, Lloyd had an incredible heart and he was incredibly generous in letting me take all these trips. I mean, I was traveling probably once every couple of weeks all around the Southwest region, and I'm sure that wasn't cheap. But that investment into people are some of the people that are still to this day, some of our best DMs. And he gave me so much freedom. I was able to work on as part of the Fair and Show team uh, because I love selling Cutco. I, it was something that I always felt so much pride within. In fact, I felt like I had to go out and sell just to be able to have the confidence to talk to some of these, some of these managers, because I figured if I'm going to tell somebody how to do something, I, I have to do it myself first to feel, you know, of integrity with it. And um, that sort of is in a way where I came back to the district manager position. I remember going out on a, on a couple of demos and I had an appointment out in the middle of a little town in Texas called Fredericksburg, which is beautiful. And I remember sitting out in a, in a cafe and really wondering to myself, what am I still leaving on the table? Did I have any unfinished business with the district manager position? And I asked myself the question, despite the challenges that might come to pass, where would I be most ultimately fulfilled as a high-ranking person in the region office? Or as a high-ranking Cutco sales professional, maybe you know, director of the fair and show team in our area, or as a high-powered district manager, what what would bring me the most amount of happiness and drive and motivation, regardless of how challenging it might be? And I couldn't get away from the district manager position, the ability to you know basically do what I was coaching a lot of these other managers to do. And I just figured if I'm going to take all this time to coach people. I want to go ahead and do it again myself one more time. And I, I remember coming to Lloyd and telling him that I wanted to put my name in the hat of district management. And he couldn't have been more pleased. And uh, that's when I went and finally started to get to know Stacy Campbell, who was the division manager at the time. And he gave me a chance at being a district manager. And uh, there was a territory that had become open within one week of me making that decision in a little town called San Marcos, Texas, which mm -hmm. prior to moving there, I'd never even heard about before. Wow. So you were an AM in a branch way back in the day, you know, circa 01, 02, 03, 04-ish. Yeah. Then you, you know, worked with Mike and Ben in Chicago. You became a DM during that stretch in 2011, 2012. Right. Moved to Austin, had this role that you hatched and created, worked with people, sold. And then it's 2016 and you're contemplating, you know, do I want to sell full time? Do I want to be a DM? And ultimately came back uh, full time as a district manager there in 2016. Um, what a spread from so, over so many years to actually, you know, finally coming to being a committed, solid, an amazing you know, top performer as a DM there starting in 2016. It's a pretty cool story. So in that year of 2015, I had decided to... I was going to become the best version of myself. I, I hired a personal coach. I was listening to so many different audios. 
And part of it was because I felt like I had a really big issue with commitment, which if you look at my history, I did a lot of different things. It was, I always had that FOMO of the fear of missing out. And one of the things that I had struggled with commitment was even in my personal relationships. And at the time, I started listening to podcasts and audios about how to be great in a relationship, which ironically isn't necessarily related to sales, but it did bring me into a couple of in a couple of situations. One of them was the fact that I met uh, I met somebody during that time where I was really working on myself. I, I started dating somebody. And I remember when I was going to decide to become a district manager, sitting down with her. And prior to that, I had met with Wes Frank, uh, who is a division manager. And he had told me very flat out that if I wanted to become successful as, as a district manager, the secret was you have to work your ass off for three years straight. And if you can work your butt off for three years straight, your life will change. And I remember sitting down with this person that I was dating, who today is my wife, and telling her that I was going to embark on this incredibly hard year of my life. And I told her that no strings attached, if you don't think that you can kind of be there through this time where I'm going to be really, really working hard. I mean, they might be 70 hours a week and you know, I'm going to be leaving before you wake up and coming home after uh, you go to sleep. Can you support me? Can you help me at least mentally? I mean, maybe make a sandwich for me every once in a while. And can you be there with me during this year? And I told her and I promised her that if she did, I would take her to Costa Rica, which was the next company trip at the time. And uh, that would be my, my thank you to her. And she sort of thought about it for a while and she said, yeah, I'm in. And <laughs> I don't know if she knew exactly what she was getting herself into, but I, I felt like I, at that point, I had to follow through because at this point, it wasn't just my commitment to this thing. It was her commitment to me committing to this thing. And she was the best supporter in that year for me, especially in my first summer where I can't tell you that we had the breakout summer that I wanted, at least not right away. In fact, I opened up my summer with about $10,000 in savings and I was down to about $1,800 in savings by the middle of July. And I can tell you that I had a couple of moments there where I was, oh my God, did I make the right decision? And I, I just figured if if I have all these people that are investing into me and supporting in me, I got to go all in. I got to invest all the way. And I took my last couple of thousand dollars and I, I, I committed to investing into recruiting in the middle of July, where all of a sudden we, we basically called back everyone that had ever been scheduled for every interview and every training. And uh, a couple of, couple of individuals ended up showing up to my office that completely changed the direction of my summer. I ended up selling almost 40% of my summer from three individuals that came in from that investment, that, uh, that final all in, I'm going to, I'm going to bet it on myself. And that was the catalyst, that moment where I finally, instead of wondering whether or not I was going to stick in it, I decided to commit a hundred percent. And that was committing my time, committing all of my money, committing all of my energy into making sure this was going to work. And all of a sudden, a couple of things happened. So the first thing that happened is I had my first 10K fast starter. I had my first representative that went out and, uh, and hit that top level. And at a conference called Summer Conference Number 2, SC2, which we're starting this push here, actually, ironically, on Monday, I decided that we were going to have a great 
great SC2 push. And we went for it. And I had this one representative who sold $17,000. Name is Richie Anderson. And he was that rep that you had been dreaming of. He was so self-motivated and went out there and crushed it. And we showed up to the conference and I was sure that he was going to be the number one guy. And at the conference, this was basically the last big summer sales event. I knew that he was going to be leaving. And I know you mentioned earlier that I, I'm in a college town. And traditionally, college town offices face a struggle that all of the representatives that are there during the fall and the spring are not from the area. And if we're running a business that does in-home demos, it was going to be really hard for them to go do a demo for their first initial appointments because all their first initial family members and friends lived hours and hours away from this college town. And this was sort of in the back of my mind at the time, but I was just figuring, you know what, go all in in the summer and, you know, hopefully I'll figure something out in the fall. So I come to this conference and there's the push countdown, which was, you know, this is one of the most exciting things in Cutco history, you know, the the SC2 push and what was going to happen. And my guy was up on stage and I'm like, he's going to win. I know he's going to do it. And he's standing next to this other guy. And my guy has to go down first. He sells $17,000. And the guy who was next to him, name is Riley Lickenbill. He sells an extra maybe 500 bucks. So not by much. But he goes up on stage and he grabs the microphone and he says, my name is Riley Lickenbill. I go to Texas Tech and I sold $18,100. And I did all of it sitting on my dorm room couch. Wow. My jaw drops to the ground. I had never even... I was so confused. I'm like, what do you mean you did it all from your dorm room couch? What does that even mean? And I remember going up to him. I was like, I, I was like out of my chair. I was like, he was trying to like take pictures with Stacy. And I was like trying to like bring him over. I'm like, what do you mean you did that from your dorm room couch? Like, what is that? And he's like, well, there's this virtual demo that allows me to do this appointments from my house. I was like, what the heck is a virtual demo? And he's like, well, there's this Prezi that this manager, I think in Colorado had put together. And uh, that's what I do. I, I I just call somebody and I walk them through this website and I saw Cutco. And I was like, without even going to their house? And he's like, yup. I'm like, can you call me on Monday and do a virtual demo for me? I want to see what this is like. And he calls me that day. And I remember recording it because I, I had to see what this was going to do. And at the end of that demo, it all lit up for me. And I said, I can teach this. I know I can teach this. I don't know how. There's no program. We don't have a script for it because there wasn't even a script that he had just even created for himself. And I all of a sudden decided that we were going to be the virtual demo office. And I figured it would be great because we had so many college students in our territory. And I, I just came up with this tagline that you can work from your dorm room and pay for school. And I remember going up to Texas State University's career services department that had allowed us, they, you know, they, they were really nice. And I told them about the program we were building and they were so excited about it. You know, the idea that their students wouldn't even have to leave their dorm and could focus on school and then do a couple of appointments around their classes seemed like the dream job for a college student. Right. And what became a really fun job, which was what I always felt really attracted people to the Cutco position, you know, hanging out with Mrs. Jones, drinking iced tea. The attraction now pivoted from a really fun job to a job that helped you prioritize school as your number one priority. And it was exciting. The on-campus events that we would do 
were something unlike anything I'd ever experienced. When I started telling college kids on campus of what they could do, in four hours, we would take 150 applications. Wow. And we would, we would have to go back to the office and we'd have 20 and 30 people in interviews during a time of the year where a lot of offices didn't really see that going on. I remember you just dominating the competition in the fall campaigns. And uh, you know, for all of you guys that are new district managers, double monthly bonus when you're having an explosive fall was the answer. It was so exciting to see our, our name. Our office became number one in the nation almost overnight. And all of a sudden, I felt like I had my thing. You know, I, I feel like managers need to find what their one thing is. For most of you that have read the book, you know, if you could find the one thing that you feel super powerful about, it almost takes everything else that you do that you might not do that well and sort of makes it all disappear. And we started building this massive team in the fall of 2016. We almost doubled what we sold in the summer. In that fall, we ended up at almost $400,000 in sales after only doing about 150 in the summer. And it was thrilling. I felt like I had something on my plate that I knew that I could manage. And even though I didn't really know what to do because there was no training, we had so many students coming in that they were basically helping me design the program by telling me what was great and what was not working about it. That sort of took off and it led to a great success. I mean, to give you perspective, the San Marcos territory sold $80,000 of Cutco for the year of 2015. And we did almost 400 in 2016. Wow. And then over a million last year, right? Correct. Yeah. We took it to 700,000 the following year in the first full year, did that twice. And uh, in 2019, we had our first million dollar year. 2019, over a million. Uh, amazing. I love, Damien, how you took control of your business. And it was really in the late summer for you and things weren't going as well as you had hoped. And you took control by driving recruiting and getting some good people onto the team. You had those three people that came onto the team that did a big chunk of your business. You grabbed control and got those people. Then you spun that into the development of this virtual demo program and really actively working with your campus to make sure that you were able to promote the opportunity to students. You came up with the right wording to advertise the opportunities to students to get them fired up about what Vector could be that they wouldn't get elsewhere. Um, And the rest is history, as they say. And you've had a, a great run as a district manager and have pioneered this virtual demo program ever since then. It's been something that I can't say I came up with, but it has been my passion to bring this to to fruition. And yeah, I'm really proud that today it, it basically became the program. Yeah. Shout out to Will Haugen for being the guy that created that Prezi that uh, the rep Riley uh, was using. I'm pretty, yes, sure, yes. I'm pretty sure that was Will's program. Now, Absolutely. as one of the top teachers of the virtual demo in the company, what have you found to be some of the keys to success for the reps to make sure they do well with them? So the success of the virtual demo comes a little bit later oftentimes from what I noticed the initial appointment that was face-to-face with customers did because I felt like the learning curve was different. Where with the in-home demo, 
it was the product. It's hard to argue with, you know, someone cutting a penny in front of you and chopping up tomatoes and lettuce and seeing how exciting it is in that moment. Whereas the virtual demo program, the biggest skills that representatives had to develop is the ability to share their goals and the ability to share why they were so excited about developing the skills that the virtual demo was giving them, especially in a generation that doesn't talk a lot on the phone. The ability for a college student to say that they were so proud and so excited that they were going to stand out from the crowd and they were going to be professional and they were going to be exceptionally able to talk to people, not just in person, but in even a more challenging uh, vehicle of the phone. And it's gone from, I don't like talking on the phone to, I'm really proud that I'm one of the few people in my friends group that's great at on the phone communication. Mm -hmm. So the sharing of goals for the customers, for the reps to share with their customers was a, a really key element. And I, I've heard Ben Cooper, who's now the number one student rep in the company, he works in the Western region. I've heard him talk about this a lot. And I feel like when we were doing demos live, that just using the product, holding it, cutting something, trying it out was enough of a tipping point for customers to place an order. Right. Now it takes a little extra something to get that tipping point because the customer is not holding the knives and cutting with them but they're still seeing them. They're still seeing the quality. But the fact that this person who's selling the product is inspired and motivated and ambitious and striving for something and has these aspirations, all of these things provide that little extra nudge to get the customer over the tipping point to where they feel comfortable ordering and get, you know, getting their, their first order at Cutco. Is that yeah. how you see it? Yeah. And the other part of it that became so much fun was that our office environment became so different from anything that I've ever seen. Because in the first weekend of a representative doing demos in a traditional environment, they would be gone, right? You would just hear from them over the phone. And in our office, they would stay. We would finish training at four o'clock and we would just set up desks all around the, the office for people to start their virtual demos. And we would stay in the office till 10, 11 o'clock at night, coaching them through the virtual demo. We would come back Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and representatives would come back to the office and they would build this culture of we work at our office. And it became something that initially was a little bit harder to sell, you know, showing up and staying late. But I remember to this day, staying around and, and helping a young guy named Brendan Osorio do his, his first few virtual demos. And him basically saying, are you sure it's okay that like, are you, are you going to stay all the way till 9 PM? And I've got more appointments. And I said, yes, I'm definitely going to stick around because one day when you're a business owner, you'll do this for somebody else. And I got a text message this summer from Brendan, who is actually a new district manager at eight or nine o'clock on a Saturday saying, I'm hanging around with another representative today. I remember when you did that with me. I love it. I love it. How are you applying this concept of reps doing demos in the office now in 2021? Still happens. We, we still have representatives doing, office, doing demos in our office uh, every single day. And uh, while I might not be the one that stays around after training as much uh, as some of my assistant managers do it now, but I feel great about doing it because I know I did it for two years. And today, it, it creates that bond between the assistant managers and the representatives in a way that I don't know if it's possible because when that assistant manager is there, 
and closes and helps that representative with their first sales, the bond that's created is really tough to beat. And they really start to trust the management team, I think, a lot faster because of it. I love it. And so it's a new way for the office to be a magnet for reps to come hang around and get that in-person time with leaders on the team. Yeah, it's really fun to have running interviews or running training and people in different rooms are closing sales. It brings the legitimacy to the business into its full, you know, right to the face because people are selling Cutco while people are sitting in training. Awesome. I love it. So cool. Damien, let's shift gears a little bit because I know that uh, you had a really devastating year personally in 2019. And I want to ask you to share whatever you're, you're willing to share about that. And, and in particular, share what lessons grew out of that experience of that year. So in the spring of 2019, we were, we were doing great. Uh, we were basically gearing up for what I thought might be our best year ever. And, you know, whenever everything is going well, I feel like the world wants to challenge you to see how badly do you want it. So at the time, um, my dad was struggling. He had been in a car accident and he had broken his hip and he was kind of in and out of the hospital. He had moved down to Argentina as my older brother was helping take care of him a little bit more in his home. My mom actually had gotten cancer and I, I was sort of dealing with those things a little bit in the background, trying to stay very positive. And all of a sudden in March and then in May and then in July, all back to back to back within three or four months, my dad passes away. My mom passes away pretty suddenly. And then my stepdad, who had been married to my mom, passes away as well. And hmm. I had not really lost anybody in my family before. I've got a pretty small family. So that was back to back to back to back years. My, my friends would call it like the Greek tragedy and, you know, sort of in jest, but also in the reality of it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I had always struggled with is vulnerability. I didn't really like expressing when I was sad or expressing when I was mad to other people very much. I learned a lot from, you know, from Danny and uh, from David to just be the most positive person I could be. And one of the downsides of that is, I guess I learned how to hide a lot of my, you know, my personal demons and my personal challenges. And I remember the very first time that I decided to share with my team at a team meeting how I was doing. And it all of a sudden created a change of energy that I didn't really know was, was, was there. I didn't really know existed. And the contribution that I received back from the people who I decided to be vulnerable with was incredibly overwhelming. The productivity of my office would increase the more vulnerable that I would be with my people to the point where, I mean, I would share how I was feeling and I would sometimes, you know, break down in tears in front of my team, trying to kind of talk about what was going on. And these college students who didn't really know me very much were now a bigger part of my family because of the fact that I was vulnerable first. And there's, a, there's an, a, an author named Robin Sharma. And the quote that really speaks to that is, when you are vulnerable with people, they fall in love with you. And I started feeling that in a way that was so healing for me because these, you know, these strangers who I didn't know were, were the ones that were 
telling me to take time off. They were telling me to go take care of what I needed to go take care of. And they would run my office. I had a a young man that was cross-training with me at the time in Santiago who ran my office for a week when I had to go visit you know, my dad at the time and, you know, Brendan and a couple of other individuals ran my office while I had to go take care of my mom's funeral situation. And they worked tirelessly to keep our office afloat. And we started doing better. And we ended up having the best summer we've ever had. And there was this mission to the million. And from a $700,000 2018 we got to $1,025,000 for the year of 2019. And that final month was insane. It was explosive. And everybody, it was like they wanted to do it for me. And it felt really weird because all of my time as a district manager, I always wanted to do things for them. And I never really thought that I like kind of deserved people doing anything for me. I was really always very self-sufficient. And just that like generosity of their effort, again, college kids who I never, you know, really expected anything from really taught me that the business works better as a family than as a business. And there were so many scenarios that happened throughout that year where people would entrust me with very personal information. You know, a young woman whose mom was actually going through, through cancer decided to entrust me with that. And I would just notice that she would come to the office all the time and tell me about things. And then she would do appointments. And and it was really odd to associate that because of the fact that I was there for her in a very personal space, she wanted to sell Cutco as basically, I guess, a way to say thank you to me. Or I I don't really, I didn't understand why it was happening, but I noticed that my office was growing and creating retention in a way that I personally never knew how to create until the moment where I decided to be a lot more, uh, a lot more vulnerable with the people that were in front of me. Incredible, Damien. I, I, I heard a quote one time that was something along the lines of your transparency aids others in their transformation. And everybody is attempting to grow and evolve as people and to see you share willingly and openly, transparently your experiences how you were doing, what was happening for you. It really gives people an example that they can follow that, you know, we experience adversity, we grow, we move through it, we still achieve and accomplish the things we want and live the kinds of lives that we want. And so them seeing you experience that helped all of them to transform, to become better versions of themselves, I'm sure. So it's very cool to hear. Yeah, the idea that started coming out of that is that the bigger the tragedy, the bigger the gift. The more powerful the charge that would come out of the experience, the more energy that you can extract out of it and transform the meaning of that experience into something that could be really, really positive. And what I also noticed about that for myself is that it made the healing process go in a velocity that I that was really, really incredible. I had people asking me, how am I getting back to work so fast? Or how am I, you know, why is the office doing well? Or why am I doing well? Just a very short amount of time after all of this stuff happened, where, I mean, if I had a friend that had gone through all that and told me that their business had struggled, I think it would have been like, yeah, I get it. But I think for me, I started always thinking about in the moment 
what would my dad want me to do in this team meeting? What would my mom want me to do in this event to really honor them? And it was always the give to people, spend more time with them, invest into them and build them up. And it healed me. It healed me that year. That's such a great perspective, Damien, that you shared right there. And I I hope everybody can really take that to heart and consider that when challenges come their way. Out of these challenges, you've had three great years as a manager, over a million, as you mentioned there in 2019. I can remember seeing your social media in December of that year as you guys were fighting down to the wire to get there and just how exciting it was that it came down to the wire And then another great year in 2020, and now number two in the district team category this year. What is a key concept, Damien, that you leverage for success in developing others? So every once in a while, when I go to conferences and we, we as district managers, talk about profitability and how to run a great business, sometimes I'll hear the, you have to find great people and how to do so. Sometimes they talk about the different types of schools to target or the different types of athletes to target. And when I look back, I I wasn't any of those kids that would have been targeted. I feel like I was pretty unconfident. I was not really an athlete very much. I know as an Argentinian, I should be like born with a soccer ball, but I just didn't have the coordination, I guess. And so I feel like if somebody would have been targeting great people, I might've been overlooked. And I started noticing that the amount of change that you can create in a person oftentimes is what creates the greatness and the retention of of other people. And I started thinking, well, I don't want to go and find sharp people. I want to go be the sharpener. I want to be the person that that individual finally thinks somebody cares about me. Somebody wants me to do well. And maybe that's the first person. And I know that I probably am not, but my mentality is I want to be even if nobody has been yet. And I want to tell someone that they can do anything they can without allowing any of the limiting beliefs that somebody in their family or somebody in their friend group might be projecting onto them because they cannot decide why you want to do something. And it's not so much about what you do It's about that you do it and the level of energy and love that you bring to that, which what you do. And what started to happen is that I started to attract what I call all of these random, quote unquote, weird individuals that may have never really thought of themselves as the obvious choice of success. And I was going to tell every single one of them that they were going to be the one that was going to lead our team. and. You know, even today, I have individuals in my office who they've been in the business for so long. And I really feel it's because of how special the opportunity has felt for them. And man, you can't believe what somebody is capable of when somebody tells them that they are amazing and maybe nobody else ever has. Because I feel that maybe when somebody is a top performer in school and an athlete, they get told that all the time. And that individual might not feel as motivated with a scenario where yet again, somebody is telling them that you're amazing, but maybe they hear it for the first time. I feel it changes their life. 
I've now worked at Cutco for 22 years. I feel like it's my life's work. And I, I couldn't be more proud of the experience that I've had. But what really gives me a lot of pride in, is in the fact that I feel really confident about the future of our nation because of so many great young people that are learning the valuable skills that I was able to learn. You know, I think about my sales manager, Anna, who right now is not only running interviews, but she is working on being in the core cadets. I, I think about the branch managers that are out there that are part of my district team that are going after the silver and cup uh, and Lila and Jade and Noah and Marissa and Caitlin and the districts that have launched in the last year with Caleb and Santiago and just how proud I am of them and Brendan and just even the assistant managers that we have today that are entrusting their current development into our company and how safe I think that trust is being kept. And our tagline in our district is something that we we have a lot of fun with. And the acronym is QBALB. So to not really say a profanity, it stands for quit being a little baby. Well, maybe the B is another word, but we have a lot of fun with it. But really the backbone of our district vision is to really focus on what we want and our goals and not let any of the feelings that might come around and the fears get in our way. And I I really am so excited to see so many more people go through our program that we've been so proud to build in the last six years and can't wait to see what happens in 2021 and in the future. Amazing, Damien. I just love that. You said you feel this concept changes people's lives. That's the whole theme of this podcast. It's a theme of what we do here in Cutco Vector. Changing lives is not about finding somebody who's already got all the talent in the world and just providing them with a fertile ground to be successful in. Changing lives is about helping people to grow and to evolve, to see their potential, being the person who sees them for who they could become, helping them to see that, helping them to harvest that. These are all the things that you do as the sharpener, as you said. (laughs) And this has been the hallmark of your career. And I feel like this circles all the way back to the people that influenced you in your early days and, and going back to Danny Lewis and David Fisher and what they provided for you to help you to grow. So, so cool to hear all of your stories and lessons today, Damien. I've really enjoyed this. It's been uh, an awesome conversation. I'm grateful to have had you here on the podcast today. Thanks so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure and something I've been so excited about to do that has come to life. So thank you, Dan. That was Damien Scott. Boy, whenever I hear a personal story like he shared of, you know, moving from Argentina to Israel, being there as war unfolded and having to move to the United States with nothing, scrambling to be able to get established, uh, which his family did, it just really reminds me to be grateful for all the things I've had in my life, all the benefits that I've had and the opportunities that I've had up to and including being a part of Cutco Vector and the influence that I've had from the people who are here. So many great little lessons that came out throughout this interview. Damien learned about acting on what he wanted versus how he felt. The lessons from David Fisher about just being your authentic self. From Ben Skemper and Mike Muriel about the constant desire for excellence that they exhibited. Lessons from Lloyd Reagan about being generous 
and spending time with people, which are two of the hallmarks of Lloyd's role now as a region manager and what he brings to his organization. And Damien carried that on to his working with people in the Southwest region and then ultimately in his own office. Finding your thing. What is your niche? Damien found his niche as a pioneer of the virtual demo program, really grew to excel with that. And of course, nowadays, that's the primary way that our reps are all doing their appointments now. The vulnerability to share oneself and having transparency and sharing our challenges. This doesn't mean to become a negative person, but it does mean that there's a time and a place, right, to be able to be open with the people who are around you and how that assists them in their transformation it creates a change of energy where people want to provide even more contribution to you and your cause. And then last, of course, the idea that as leaders, we are the sharpeners, right? We are the ones that sharpen all the people around us. Our job is not just to find those people who are already talented and already great at everything that they do. Of course, it's nice when that happens, but our job for the most part is to help to see people for who they can become, to help them see that, and then to provide them with the tools to be able to harvest that in their life. That is the essence of changing lives. It's what we stand for in Vector. It's the theme of this podcast. And it is certainly something that Damien Scop has exemplified throughout his life and career. We hope that you can be inspired by that to bring that same energy to everyone who is in your life as well. Thanks very much, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 